Welcome to Ministry in Motion, where we explore best practices for your ministry in the 21st century. I'm Derek Morris. And I'm Anthony Kent, and we're delighted that you've joined us today. Our program today is exploring how the baton can be passed from one generation to the next in the growth of the church. Sounds like a really important topic, Anthony. It is, it is, because as we know, there's a number of generations that worship within a church at one time, and Dave Gemmell's going to come on and explain how the baton can be passed to successive generations. You know, I hear people say, oh, they're the leaders of tomorrow, and by the time tomorrow comes, they're all gone. So how do we allow them to lead today? That's, that's a crucial question. Exactly, and that's what we're going to be exploring with Dave. So thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back with Dave Gemmell right after this break. Welcome back to Ministry in Motion. Our guest today is Dr. Dave Gemmell. Dave is Associate Director for the North American Ministerial Association, and on top of that, he's Volunteer Associate Pastor at New Hope Church. Dave, thanks so much for joining us. It's great to be here, Dr. Kent. Dave, you've got a real passion to, to see ministry transfer from one generation to another. Now, these generations, we're familiar with boomers, millennials, Tell us something about this. Let's start with the boomers. Who are the boomers? Yeah, you know, sociologists tend to, uh, to stereotype people into different generations, and doesn't mean that everybody in that age group fits into that generation, but there are some general things that, that pull these people together. And, and some of the generations that are living right now in, in my world, and that's the United States, uh, the boomers that you mentioned, uh, my notes here, uh, 1946 to 1964, so 76 million uh, boomers. That's a lot of people. That yeah. is. Uh, and, and if you take a look and, and, at church life, the majority of people attending church in, uh, in, in most denominations are in that group, boomers, okay. or, or even earlier generations. And what's, what's the characteristics of this generation, Dave? What, what makes them and sets them apart from the other generations? Well, boomers came to light in the Vietnam War era, so uh, they were conflicted and they really wanted to take over the world, and, and boomers tend to, uh, to be in charge and, and like to, to have things go their way. They are leaders. Uh, this is some general characteristics and stereotypes of, of, of boomers. Okay. And when they communicate, what's the way that they like to communicate in? Well, a lot of boomers like email. Oh, okay. Previous generations used the telephone or wrote letters. Uh, boomers are very comfortable with email. Right. Now, that's the boomers. Who comes along after the boomers? Well, the next generation is a smaller generation. They generally are known as Generation X, born 1965 to 1980. Only 44 million strong in that cohort here in the United States. That's still a significant number, though, isn't it? It is, but a it's a, just a little more than half of what the uh, boomers are. So you don't see them playing quite as prominent role in leadership. I don't know if we've even had a president of the United States that's been from, from Gen X. It's, it's, it's exclusively boomers. Okay. And what, what are the characteristics that, that make the Gen X? Well, it's a, it's a generation, you know, you picture tattoos. It's a generation of, of, of angst and just a feeling of um, 
not quite fitting in. Uh, again, these are the stereotypes that sociologists uh, come up with. Right. Um, it's a smaller generation trying to, to find their way. Okay, okay. So we've got boomers, Gen X. What comes next? Well, the next generation would be uh, millennials, and this is the largest generation. 80 million strong, born 1981 to 1995. Okay, so 81 to 95, and there's about Roughly. 80 million. And what defines them? This is a generation where the world revolved around them. So they are quite self-assured. Uh, self uh, some would say self-centered. Okay. Um, a generation that, uh, that grew up with the, uh, with the internet and technology, very tech savvy. Um, good team workers. They, they tend to work well together, but they tend to kind of do things the way that they want to do. Uh, they don't depend on other generations, although they, uh, they admire them. Right. And they communicate by texting, I suppose? Yeah, this was the generation that discovered text and used it's their, their native uh, way of communicating now. Okay. And what, what's the fourth generation that we're going to address? Well, the next generation coming up, Generation Z, um, this is a generation we're still discovering because right, as we speak, they're in elementary school beginning to get into high school right now. Not a, a large group, only 23 million. So this is the smallest of the groups right now. This is a group that, that grew up uh, totally in the technology world. They, they the, know the, no other world. The internet was developed before they were born. Wow, yeah. Okay. And how do they interact? How do they communicate with, with each other, with their peers? If the, if the Gen Z is uh, texting, um, what does this generation do? Well, this group is also texting, but, but now it's, it's the default way of communicating. So it is, it is just texting all the time. This is the generation that takes their phones to bed with them and can't, can't sleep without the phone. It's not a teddy bear, it's a telephone they've got to have to right. make sure they get that latest text. Yeah. Now, of course, these are all exaggerations to these generations, but it, it kind of helps to kind of paint a picture. Sure. So. There's, I presume there's intermediate periods where some would span one generation and another, or, or are the, the lines clearly defined? Yeah, the, the line, those are just some cohorts. Again, none of us fit exactly into those categories, but there's enough similarities that sociologists can make a group, and as a whole, uh, the things would apply to that group. Right, okay. Now, Dave, I'm reminded by a, a text that Jesus gave us about reaching tribes. And in our discussion leading up to this interview, you use tribe in an interesting way. Explore that with us. Yeah, and that's why I'm, I'm fascinated by these cohorts because, you know, Jesus, Matthew 28, verse 19, um, you know, basically he says you need to reach every, every tribe, every people, make disciples out of all. And that includes different language groups, different geographies, but I like to apply it to these generational cohorts. And that is each new generation that comes along is like a different tribe of people. They, they act, they behave, they think uh, precisely uh, in, in different ways than previous generations. And you know, one of the disturbing things is, is that that tribe only exists for a finite period. And then they go extinct. Yeah. So if the gospel, if, they, if they're not able to, 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 to take the, the gospel during that time period and they're not able to pass it on to the next generation, there's a tremendous loss there. Exactly. So at the moment, it seems as though the boomers are in possession of perhaps the control or the power within the majority of churches. And we want to explore how younger generations 
can not only receive the gospel, but then take that gospel to their generation as well. We're interested in your insights and we're so pleased that you're here to help us with this. Stay tuned. We'll be back right after the break as we explore this on Ministry in Motion. Welcome back to Ministry in Motion, where our special guest is Dr. Dave Gemmell, and we're exploring cross-generational ministry. Now, Dave, we want to explore a little more about the boomers. Now, the boomers are largely the church attenders, attendees, and the financial givers, and they're holding the power of the church. Tell us more about this. Yeah, in my country, the United States, you take a look at uh, all denominations, and particularly the mainline denominations, uh, there's a real graying of the congregation. In other words, those that are attending and those that are in leadership, they're getting old. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is a little frightening thought because the next generations are largely absent. Uh, okay. There's very few Gen X churches that, that Gen X find, find comfortable. And then the, the largest generation that we talked about, the millennials, they are just voting with their feet and not attending church uh, at, at all. So, so we're witnessing, we're, we're at the edge of a, of a major change in the way uh, the gospel is, is, uh, is given. Yeah. yeah, and this is a very significant issue that we're facing, isn't it? Because the boomers, not only do they need to keep the flame alight, and the torture light, but they also need to pass on the torch to the next generation. But who shall they hand it to? Yeah, I, I love the metaphor of, of, of you know passing on the torch. You know, every few years ago, we or so we have these Olympics, and 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 you visualize someone carrying this torch down the road, and then they've got to hand it off to the next person and the next person, and keep that flame alive. I think it's a great metaphor for the gospel. You know, that gospel is that flame, that that good news, but. If a runner does not pass that flame along, the flame dies. Yeah, yeah. So the, the boomers passing on the torch to the next generation, that's our generation. This is the challenge we're finding. How do you suggest that boomers can do that, Dave? I th yeah, it's coming back to the metaphor. I think it's a, it's a great metaphor. It, when, you're, when you're passing on the torch, whether it's a relay race or the Olympics, You've got, picture someone running and then the other person has to come alongside there and there's that moment where they walk alongside or run alongside each other and then the handoff is given and then they continue to run alongside a little bit as the new person takes the torch. Yeah. And so if we could apply this to church, the, the boomer generation is carrying the torch right now. They need to kind of find people to walk alongside them and walk together for a while until they're in sync and then take that good news, that gospel, and pass it on to the next generation. And then at that point, they have to release it. Yeah. They have to let it go and, that's and an... cheer them on because they're going to be carrying it in a different fashion. Yeah than the previous holder. Do, do you think boomers are reluctant to hand it across? Well, it's in our very nature as boomers. You know, we like to be in control. And, and so we're very, very choleric as a generation. And, and to let go of something um, 
I think is, is proving to be difficult. Yeah. And at, at an exchange point, that's when something is most vulnerable as well, isn't it? When, when it could be dropped. Um, and it's the same with any relay. That's, that's the most vulnerable time. It is. And boomers, we want life to go like, like we have done it. Our organizational structures, the way that we do church, we think it works really well for us. And so when we pass on the torch, we're not just passing on the gospel, we're passing on the way that we uh, present the gospel. And, and if the next generation doesn't want to do it the way that we're doing it, yeah. that's where the torch gets dropped. Yeah, yeah. We have to let go, exactly. realizing that they have the competency to be able to take it on in new ways that, that we don't have that competency in. And as well as the, the, the challenge of seeing new ways being used to share the, the gospel and for doing church, which can be challenging to the boomers. It can also be challenging for boomers to recognize their mortality, that their, their time is coming to an end, their generation is passing. So in a sense, I imagine it's, it's a tough period handing that across. It's acknowledging that their time is coming to an end as well. Anthony, I think you're so right. A lot of boomers just have this belief that they're going to live forever. You know, this is, this is the generation. Don't trust anybody uh, under 30. And now, you know, boomers, uh, 10,000 a day are retiring right now. And, and uh, there's going to be a big boom in, in plastic surgery and life extension. Boomers want to live forever. But the fact of the matter is, you know, if time should last, uh, we're all going to bite the dust sooner or later. Exactly. Yeah. So, Keeping the torch alive, it's, it's for us boomers, and I'm putting myself in this, with, with, we're in this together, Dave. We, we can't take, take this torch to the grave with us, can we? We've got to keep it aflame, and we've got to keep it and pass it on to that next generation. Exactly. Yeah. So we've got the challenges of recognising our own mortality, okay, and also that church will be done differently and the gospel will be presented differently when we pass it on. Do you see any other challenges that boomers face? Well, on, on that, to unpack that a little bit more, we, we aren't passing on the church. Okay. We're passing on the gospel. Okay. The church is simply a tool for carrying on the gospel. And, and if we feel that, that church, and I, when I say church, I just mean everything, the way mm -hmm. that we do mm -hmm. things, mm -hmm. if it has to be done the same way, it's not gonna work. Okay. We have to trust the new generation to, to have church or whatever that may look like be in their native culture, their native language, the native way they, they, they do things. And we have to, to, to trust them with it and applaud them with it and, and mentor them and encourage them and give them all the resources they need to, to go a different direction. And it will be a different direction, guaranteed. So, Dave, where have you seen the boomers and the Gen Xs getting together and the, the, the torch being exchanged? Well, well, my home church, the median age is 26. So it's a very unusual church. It is filled with Xers and, and they think differently. And one of the ways that they think differently is that they don't believe that you have to be a member before you begin to do ministry. In fact, it's just the opposite. We take unchurched people and put them to work right away, whether they even believe in Jesus Christ or not, and get them going on mission. And then once they become part of the community, eventually it is our hope and prayer that they, they decide that they want to officially join the community with membership. But it's just kind of inverting the whole thing. And so that's one of the practical ways, um, putting people to work right away before they even become members. Thanks so much, Dave. We'll be right back with more Ministry in Motion.
Welcome back to Ministry in Motion. Our topic today, technology in ministry. Our co-host, Anthony Kent's with us again. Thanks, Derek. And Dave Gemmel, thanks so much for being with us. Now, again, you're Associate Director for the Ministerial Association for North American Division, the Adventist Church. And I don't know if you have special responsibility for technology, but you've obviously got a passion for using technology while in ministry. I do. I do. And I, I want to talk to you in this last segment about some dangers, but first, you've got some expertise in using PowerPoint and preaching. I'm passionate about preaching well. I've heard people use PowerPoint very ineffectively. Um, tell us about some key lessons you've learned about this technology, PowerPoint, for preaching well. Yeah, let's, let's roll back a few years. You know, PowerPoint has been around for a long time. I was an early adopter in PowerPoint, and, and how I started doing it is I discovered that most of the people attending my church, well, 60% or 70%, were women. And I tried to figure out why aren't men coming? And then I discovered men and future generations of people in general are very visual. And so we invested heavily in projectors and screens and started putting pictures up on the screen. And within a year, now we had more men coming to church than, than women. Just simply putting pictures up. Guys like pictures. And now with, with future generations that are raised on the Internet, uh, everybody loves pictures. So visual's good, but you could come up with 70 visuals that are just kind of scattered. How do you use them well in, in conveying a biblical message? Well, I think the truth of, of the pictures is still, still relevant. I see a lot of bad PowerPoint, <laughs> to be honest with you. And the bad PowerPoint is just simply bulleting people to death mm. and, and just putting text after text after text keeps bulleting across the screen. And that really doesn't do anything. I think the, the power of, of, of PowerPoint um, is, or Keynote or whatever it is, is the picture itself. And I think what works really well, if you can choose one metaphor, one visual metaphor that encompasses your sermon and what you're trying to get across, then just let that metaphor speak for itself and invite people in. Keep the pictures just very simple and text very simple and a minimalistic approach well done uh, will, will really be uh, save the day in PowerPoint. So Dave, if, if a pastor isn't a graphic designer or an artist, what, what would you suggest that a pastor do or wh where should they go to, to access something like what you're talking about? Yeah, most pastors aren't graphic designers and so we probably shouldn't be doing graphic design. We shouldn't even be doing PowerPoint. Or we get stressed out because <laughs> we, we can't get it done right. Yeah. But we need to find out those people that, that can do it. If your mm -hmm. church has a graphic designer in it and you're blessed with that, you may want to turn to that graphic designer and say, can you just design me a simple template for the, for the sermon this week and I'm going to just drop in some text. Mm -hmm. If you have no one like that, there are places where you can go to at a minimal fee to be able to get templates that are pre-done, nice pictures, nice metaphors, and then you can drop in the text and, and, and you'll look like a million bucks. Derek, that would be a great thing to put on our website. That's right. Links. Now, it wouldn't cost a million dollars, though, right? Or what are we talking about cost-wise to get a template like that? Uh, sometimes you could buy big libraries, but now, more often than not, people are just picking out one template off a website. Five or ten dollars, maybe fifteen dollars uh, will take care of it. And then you have a license to be able to use that template and for whatever you want there in the church. Mm. So any other lessons you've learned in terms of using PowerPoint for preaching or other technologies? Well, for PowerPoint, I think uh, less is more for the most part. If you can have a nice picture up there, that's great. If, if you don't have to have 
you don't have to have PowerPoint to be able to preach. Right. And if you put your whole sermon up there on PowerPoint and it didn't make any sense in the first place, and you have it, it up won't on make PowerPoint, sense, now everybody knows it doesn't, doesn't make sense. So PowerPoint can only serve to accentuate what's already there. It, it can't create something out of nothing. What about some dangers? Uh, you, you've examined, you're trying to make technology work. You, you're trying to train pastors to use technology well. What well, are we, some of the we, dangers? Yeah, we've alluded to the first danger, and that is the time that goes into these things. And we need to find people that are good and quick uh, to do it. Uh, the, another, another danger is, is the cost. Yeah. And technology, when it first comes out, is very, very expensive. And I guess, I, I think for churches, we don't necessarily have to be on the bleeding edge of technology. You know, technology goes through this bell curve, and if, if you wait till you're on the back side of that bell curve, things get to be very affordable in that sweet spot, uh, wherever you are in the world, whatever that technology is. Wait till it's very popular and very cheap, and then begin to use it, and, and you'll be fine, and everybody will know how to use it, and it'll solve both the problems of time and, and money. Mm. Sounds like you have to stay up with new technology, but then be patient, wait for the right time. Uh, it seems to me that vision is important here, too, because resources are available if the vision is there. So how do you as a leader cast a vision for your community that, that they'll then embrace with time? You talked about volunteerism with resources. How do you do that? Yeah, well, the vision has to come from the, from the lead pastor, and, and the vision is always about mission. You know, what has God called our congregation to do here, and how best can we accomplish that? And is there a technology available that will help us to do this more effectively, more cost-effectively? And that's, that's where the vision really sells technology. Technology is only a tool. So it sounds like here that technology isn't there to replace the human touch, but to actually enhance and enlarge the, the ministries that we're capable of doing. Well said. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's really remarkable to see what God could do, but I want to reaffirm something you, you said, uh, Dave, and, and that is that it's driven by mission. Mm -hmm. it's, not, it's not driven by flash appeal or uh, trying to impress people. Yeah. In fact, the opposite is just the case with new generations coming along. They, that's a turnoff for them. And, and if it's just technology for showing off technology, Ah, that doesn't work for them. So it needs to be done well, needs to be done in a, in a very background uh, way so that the message and the medium and the mission are, are first and foremost. You know, it's been a great challenge to me. I, I've seen miracles over the past five years in my own ministry, but I know, as you said earlier, that we really don't know what the next wave is. Uh, something else is going to come along that we as leaders ought to seize uh, in order to maximize our impact for yeah. the kingdom of heaven. Keep our eyes open, and when that wave hits, ride the wave. Dave, thanks for joining us today. It's been great to have you. Anthony, thanks, good Tony. conversation. Thank you for joining us. Uh, maybe you're an expert in technology and ministry, and you could share some insights with our Ministry in Motion family that could bless their lives. You can go to our website at ministryinmotion.tv. Leave some feedback for us there. There's also resources that might help you. Perhaps you missed the first part of this program or other programs in the series. Go to our website at ministryinmotion.tv. One thing is certain. God wants to use you to impact your world. He has plans for you. He has dreams. When you bring those dreams into alignment with His dreams, 
that could use you in a profound way. And technology can be a part of that ministry to bless the lives not only of your community, but the lives of people around the world. I pray you've been challenged by our study today. Thanks for being with us on Ministry in Motion. May God bless you in your ministry for Him.